Yeah, thanks for reminding us, Kay. Yeah, y'all are probably familiar with Joyce and, and Loris. This got back from back surgery, and Charlotte's had surgery and, uh, and rehabbing and having had some difficulty with some drugs that she was taking, had to take her off of those. So I know we were, we were praying for everybody around the hall one day a couple of weeks ago, and it's, it's kind of like the uh, house of Job. Anyway, they're all, they're all, they all have good spirits, but they would appreciate you continue praying for them as they rehab and go th- face surgeries and treatments going forward. All right, if you take, turn your Bible over to the book of James, and uh, this is going to be a this is going to be a fast thing today because I got to get through chapter one. But if you read when you read the book of James, you'll find that uh, like a lot of the epistles, but maybe James even more so, you'll find out that in the first chapter he kind of encapsulates everything that he's going to say for the next four chapters. And so I'm sure that Orlando and I will be tying back into chapter one every week as we teach because he gives a synopsis of all that he wants us to understand and to receive as he writes this letter. And uh, so it, it'll be a, we'll try to get through this as good as we can. And it's a quick read. I'll read it here in a few minutes. It takes about, I read this morning out loud, which I do periodically, something I'm going to teach. And it takes about two minutes, two hour, two minutes and 20 seconds to read through the first chapter in a pulpit tone pulpit pace so it's not uh, it's not a long read but it is a very pointed kind of a almost like a bony fingered read you know because James is not a guy that minces words and uh, it's, it's always good to remember that he's he is speaking to people that put their confidence in Christ Jesus he's not talking about you know how you're going to make yourself right before God but he's but he is saying since you're right with God you need to behave this way and uh, so as we read this we'll we'll be finding and holding this up before our face and adjusting our lives in a way that will bring glory to God and, and, and benefit us going forward. So the epistle of James is, a, is an explanation really of what it is to, to live to the glory of God and some really practical things that in the Old Testament would be called wisdom. Uh, wisdom is just living our life in a way that's pleasing to God under the directives that he's given us and uh, being able to confront and approach life and, and respond to life in ways that that are going to be pleasing to God and prepares us for the future when we'll live with him and for all eternity. And he, so he's just doing a lot of training in our lives. So the writer, I've got a few notes down there. You can read those with me. James the Just, this is what, what he was nicknamed, the younger brother of Jesus. He was the lead pastor and elder of Jerusalem. You, you read about him some in, in uh, the book of Acts, especially in chapter 15. So he's like the he's like the potentate of the church. You know, He's the go-to guy. He, he was the elder that... In that local church of Jerusalem, really kind of had the the buck stopping word, you know, when they when they come to him about the Gentiles coming in and what they need to do in order to be faithful to God, you know, James says, well, it seemed good to us, you know, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. He's the spokesman, and so he's a very very important figure. Uh, another nickname that he had was Old Camel Knees. They used to call him in the early church Old Camel Knees because evidently he he was on his knees so much praying that he wore big calluses uh, and onto his knees, and so uh, this guy was a prayer and a leader, and one of the younger brothers of Jesus. It's probably written in about the mid-40s. It might have been, if not the earliest book in the New Testament, uh, one of the earliest ones. He's martyred in 62 A.D. And uh, the recipients, this is kind of interesting. It's, what, I, what I've read before is that it's written to Jewish believers who are scattered, the dispersion, he uses that word, that are dispersed. But there would have been people all over the Roman Empire fellowshipping in churches, probably even by the mid-40s, there would have been a mixture of Jews and, and uh, Gentile believers in these churches. But he's really just speaking uh, to this group of people that are all over the, 
the Roman Empire, kind of like the folks that show up in the book of Acts, those faithful Jews that were coming back for the feast, you know, and came back on the day of Pentecost, and they were from all these different nations and vicinities that uh, required them to travel for the feast days. And so these people, then they dispersed back. Some of them probably took the gospel with them, establishing churches. And James is writing to those folks that are all over the place. The style, I've got the, I already mentioned that. It's just uh, an Old Testament wisdom literature. So James is going to, what's interesting to me is it's always, it's hard for us to fathom this. And I, I have to think about it regularly. When we read the Word of God, this letter written to these people that are dispersed, it's written just as much to us as it was to them. It has a historical root, no matter, you know, there's no doubt about that. This is not mythology. This is fact that he wrote to these people and the things that he speaks, but he's speaking to us too, just as really as he did to them. And we always have to remember that when we go into the, the, the Bible, you know, because we're reading stuff sometimes, oh, that's interesting history. No, it's more than history. It's living and active, every word of it. And, and even though we're dull to hear, God is continuing to be patient with us so that we can receive what he has for us. And James is the kind of guy that's, like I said before, he's just going to tell us how the cow ate the cabbage. Y'all ever have a cow eat your cabbage? <laughs> I've seen a lot of bugs eat my cabbage when we used to try to garden. You know, I never saw a cow. I bet but a cow would like cabbage, I bet. But then that causes global warming because of their flatulence. So we try to keep the cows out of the cabbage. But anyway, that's the way he's going to speak. He's going to speak very directly to us. He's going to, he's going to say things, that, and we're thinking, surely he doesn't mean me. You know, surely we're not like that, you know. Uh, but when we stop and think, sometimes we are like that, aren't we? But, but God's patient with us, and so he keeps bringing his word to us. So our premise is this. We see life like James saw it. The church was really... Uh, in a dangerous and a, in a fearful predicament. And we're in, a, we're in that same kind of predicament, aren't we? We're dispersed. We're dispersed into this age geographically and chronologically we've been dispersed. We're just like these people. And the life that we live is fraught with all kinds of difficulties. Now, in the United States, we are, we are so blessed, you know. We are so blessed that we worship freely, that we have such freedom. But lots of times that freedom has become license, hasn't it? And so we end up we end up getting under the under the opposition under the oppression of of philosophies and practices that really are not acceptable to God. And so the the Word of God keeps calling us out of that and keeps reminding us really of our destiny. And it's sometimes it's hard to sometimes it's hard to to maintain contentment or or joy in life. Isn't it? It's not an easy thing to do. Because we run up against things. A lot of things, you know, our prayer requests are almost always about people that are really up against the wall physically. They're having disease issues, you know. They're having physical problems of some sort. And those things are not pleasant. But James, James goes so far as saying, count all of that joy. Because you know the outcome. You know the purpose. But lots of times when we get thrown up, you know, in the air, I mean, I, we could have just all listened to Howard this morning. Because all I'm doing is repeating what James said, you know, and then what what God said to Moses and through Moses to the children of Israel. But we get thrown up in the air. We get, we get heaved up in life, you know, and we're going, is there anything secure? Is there anything sound? And so James says, yes, there is. And so we're to count it joy when we encounter these events that, that sometimes are just really unpleasant and challenge our faith. I was just reading a statement by uh, Richard Foster, one of the books I was reading. I can't remember which one it was. And, and he says, sometimes when God is refining our faith, it seems like he's out to destroy it. 
That, that's how it appears sometimes, doesn't it? When God refines us, we think, whoa, God, give me a break, man. You know? Because we know we're dust, but we have to remember that God told us that. That He knows we're dust. He knows we're a vapor. He knows all of these things about us. And He's not out to destroy us, even though sometimes it may appear as though God's really out to get us. Because if God was really out to get us, we'd be God, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd already be God. But He's not out to get us. He's out to refine us. He's out to equip us. He's out to ready us for what He's prepared for us in Christ Jesus. So we have to remember this. I'm going to read this couple of verses here, and then we'll go back and read the rest of the chapter here in a minute. This is down in verse 16. James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And he gives us the definition, really a a very succinct, the synopsis of the character of God. God is sovereign. He's the creator. He created us just as he made all things. He created us by the word of his power. He made us. He's absolutely potentate. He rules and reigns in all things. And he's benevolent. Every good gift and every perfect endowment comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. He's immutable. He's sovereign, he's immutable, and he's benevolent. This is God. This is the God we serve. And if we forget that, when we encounter difficulties in life, man, we're going to be at loose ends. We're going to be worse than loose ends. We're going to be, you know, we're going to have all kinds of emotional, you know, problems. We're going to have difficulties that somehow we're going to try try to medicate in some fashion or form. We're good at self-medicating, aren't we? You know, I'm, I'm really good at it, aren't you? You know, I can just, I can just, I can medicate myself by just watching something. Just watch TV. Just watch that, yeah. And then, and then when you stop and you think back, what did I profit from that? Well, nothing. It just kind of numbed me, you know. Some people use drugs or alcohol, sex. They use all kinds of things to medicate. Some people use busyness. Some people are workaholics, and they medicate themselves through their work. We're real good at that. And if we forget that God is sovereign, that he's immutable, that he's benevolent, and every good gift and every perfect endowment comes down from him and there's no shadow of change. He's immutable. He does not change. If I've ever experienced and tasted the goodness of God, he's the same yesterday as he was today and will be tomorrow. He's always the same. He's immutable. He's not capricious. He's not fickle. He doesn't say, well, yesterday I liked you, but today I really, you're, you know. He loves us. He loves us thoroughly. There's no shadow of turning with him. This is, this is an absolute must for us because we're people that are to walk by faith, not by sight. And our faith is in the one who is and who was and who is to come. And uh, when James begins to talk to us, he's really using this, that little section there, chapters 16 through 18, as the core, as the platform upon which we live and move and have our being in this life, knowledgeable of who God is. That doesn't mean it always feels good, but it means there is strength, there is joy, you know, to carry on. There is joy, because that joy is really not fully realized now. Jesus, because of the joy set before him, endured the cross, and he's invited to walk in that same way with him. And so the only way that we can endure, and this is a big theme in James, is steadfastness, perseverance, Patience. I'm not a very patient person. 
in some areas. Other areas, it's meh. I can, I can bear that, you know. But some, some areas, I'm not very patient. But it's a necessity to learn to be a, someone who perseveres, who's steadfast. You know, I was just reading in 2 Peter this morning. 2 Peter says that God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. And he's granted us precious and magnificent promises. So he says, because this is all true, he says, you've got to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. This is a big theme of the apostles, to be steadfast, to be rooted and grounded in the truth of who God is. He's sovereign. He's immutable. He's benevolent. Get steadfast in that. So James is going to tell us the same thing because he's going to tell us a lot of things that are wrong with our behavior. And we're going to go, oh, I get it. I would I'm going to despair over that. No, don't despair. God, he's immutable and he's love. His counsel is perfect. Receive from him. And so this is the, this is the platform that James jumps off from. And uh, so we endure in this life because we understand this. And that understanding should grow deeper and deeper and broader and broader until we become like Sherry Sanders, who is able to give testimony even in the midst of this great trial. You know, I told you about this friend of my folks that used to, used to have a retreat center out between uh, Channing, the, met, the metropolitan area of Channing, and, and Fourway, which is an even larger area, you know. So they had this place out there called New Beginnings. The guy's name was Jim Jones. He had an unfortunate name, Jim Jones. But this guy was astounding. If you ever stayed out there, they did all kinds of retreats out there, and he would allow pastors to come out there, which I did on a couple occasions, and just use a room, and they had a room available, and they'd, they'd feed you and everything just for free, you know. And so I'd go out there a couple of times. I took some men's retreats out there. I went out there on, on uh, I was trying to remember what the other thing I went out there. I spoke out there a couple of times. Anyway, Jim would wake you up. Every room had a, had a speaker system, you know. And so in the morning, he'd start playing some real soft worship music, come up about 7 o'clock. And then he'd come on about 7.15 and just begin to speak Scripture, you know, and pray over all the rooms in the day. Anyway, he got sick, and I don't know what he had, probably cancer. And he was dying. He was in the hospital, and he had his, what do they call those stands with the drugs on them? IV stand, you know, they got four wheels on them. And so while he's in the hospital and they're treating him, he's dying, he's taking his IV stand, he's going into different rooms, people he doesn't know, praying for him, speaking to him, you know, blessing him, sharing Jesus with him, you know. And that, that's, that's the kind of uh, rooted and groundedness in the character of God that he wants us to have, you know, because all of this is moving toward the joy of beholding Jesus face to face, who for the joy that is set before him, he knew it from all eternity. He condescended to live with us and give us that same expectation of joy. This is why we're here. We're living toward that day. And so James is going to give us some instructions how to live faithfully toward that day. So that our lives are a witness. And so they glorify God among people as we do good works and testify of God's goodness. And so this is a, this is a life course, really. So chapter 1 encapsulates the entirety of everything he's going to say to us. I've already shared with you the platform for the journey. God's the big topic. So now let's read this chapter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, that's going to be something, and we'll be lacking nothing. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also give us all things with him? This is the way that, that uh, Paul says it in Romans. If any of you lacks wisdom, that's, that's me. Y'all, y'all ever had that problem? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We don't want to be unstable in life. Now, I was just reading in Jeremiah this week, and I, I came to chapters 41 uh, through 43, and there's these people that are left in Judah when Nebuchadnezzar takes the balance of the community off to, to Babylon in captivity. And they're kind of the ragtag leftovers. They're, he leaves them there just to kind of tend to the land because he's going to take, you know, his plan is to take some income and some foodstuffs and, you know, continue to export that to Babylon. So he leaves the, the kind of the rabble there. And he appoints a leader of them. And I can't remember these couple of guys' names. But anyway, you, I can't pronounce them anyway. Anyway, so they're left there. And they're really afraid because Nebuchadnezzar's already raided the place three times, you know, and things. He's going to come back and kill us all and burn everything we got. You know, what's going on? And so they come to Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, would you ask God for us what we ought to do? He said, sure, I'll ask you. He said, if you will find out whatever God tells us, we will do. We need wisdom from God. We'll do it. So Jeremiah begins to pray, and it takes him ten days to hear from God. He had a pretty good prayer, wasn't he? I mean, he just... We're just waiting and waiting and waiting. God, what are we supposed to do? What are we? God, help us. Help us discern your will. Help us to be about your will. So 10 days later, they come back to him. He says, here's what God says. He says, stay here. Don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. I know that looks attractive. It looks like that'll be a protective place. There'll be stuff there that Nebuchadnezzar can't get at you. Don't do it. Stay here. God will protect us. They said, we're not doing that. We're going to Egypt. If we ask God for his wisdom, we're asking him. We're not even going to get it. But if we do get it, we're going to have to do it. But God's going to give it because he gives generously without reproach. It might take 10 days. We don't have to be in a hurry. God, I need to know what about this new job? What about this particular treatment? What about, you know, buying that or investing in this or moving there or doing that? God, help me. I got to know by 2 o'clock. It might take 10 days. I'd take longer. But we come and we ask God for wisdom, and he's going to give it to us. He's not going to say, no, you don't need it. I'm not giving it to you. I've got it reserved. There's no partiality with God. So he says, and he even tells us that, verse 9, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And so we need to, we need to have some thanatopsis, don't we? We need to think about our end. Man, we're like a vapor. We're like the flower of grass. But everybody's the same. Doesn't matter like the street people, you know, or, you know, Jeff Bezos, who's making right now, I think, I think he's making about three-quarters of a million dollars an hour. That's his hourly wage, you know. He's just make, making all this money. But everybody's going to wither like the flower of grass. Before God, in asking for wisdom and living this life, God play, plays no favorites. 
He shows no favoritism. Whoever will come and ask him, he gives generously without reproaching. Isn't that something? So we qualify because we're kind of in the middle between the street person and Jeff Bezos. Maybe on the lower end, you know. But we're, we're somewhere in the middle, aren't we? And when we come and ask God for wisdom, he's going to give it to us generously and without reproaching us. We just have to be willing to listen, to be patient, and then to do what he says to do. We just have to do that. Knowing, knowing that every good gift and every perfect endowment, even if that gift doesn't look like a gift to begin with, it's a gift. God's steering all things toward us to equip us for the age to come. And so everything that he brings into our life is a gift of God. You know, Denise and I were talking last week before I begged her to teach. You've got to thank me for her teaching last week because I begged her. I said, no, you've got to share this. This is great stuff, you know. You've got to share it. She said, no, nah, they don't want to hear that. I said, yes, they do. I said, no, I don't know what I'm saying. Yes, you do. So just say thank you to me. Just, just, you know. All right, good. So, so we, have this, we have this idea of, of God giving good gifts always. Always he gives good gifts. But like I've said before, you know, a friend of mine used to say, but he gives those gifts in struggle paper. So we're struggling in life to unwrap what he's given us. But we know because he is sovereign, he is benevolent, he is immutable, that everything that comes our way, we can count on it being something good for the journey and equipping us to become complete, perfect in all ways. We can count on that because this is the way that God rolls. He doesn't do things that are... R.C. Sproul used to say, you know, for the Christian, there are good, good things, and there are good, bad things, but there are no bad, bad things. That's kind of a good way to say it, isn't it? There are good, good things, there are good, bad things, but there are no bad, bad things, because God turns everything to good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. And His purpose, He says right up there, is that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God's engineering this, all right? That's how we can count it joy. We don't, we don't rejoice in the circumstance. We rejoice in the fact that God's taking the circumstance and he's using it for good. And even if we're poor or if we're rich, we're all fading away and God's not going to show partiality. He's going to do the same good stuff for all of us. So he says this in verse 12. So blessed is the person, the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life is entering into the presence of God. You can find this in the book of Revelation. You find it in various places in Scripture. The crown of life is not something we get before we get to heaven. But we're already tasting the good effects of this life that's in us. And when we get to heaven, you know, then when we get this crown of life, you remember what we do with it? We throw it at his feet, don't we? Because it was all gift from first to last. We throw that crown of life at his feet. And thank him for what he's done for us and has enabled us to become. So when we, we're going to receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Temptation gets really strong when we forget verses 16 through 18. When we allow that to slip, temptation, because something looks better than God. You know? What's better than God? You know? Whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and gracious, think about these things, Paul says in Philippians. So I heard a guy say one time, he says, you mean I've got to think about Jesus all the time? You know, and you think, what? What could be better than thinking about Jesus? 
But sometimes, you know, our mind begins to slip, and when we're tired and we get pressured or things happen, you know, bad thing one after another, we begin to maybe question God. It's got to be, we've got to be rooted and grounded in this reality that God is good, and He is immutable. He doesn't change, and He doesn't tempt us. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation, because we don't stand up well to it. We don't do good with it unless we're rooted and grounded in God. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And that's when we begin to self-medicate. When we let our desires rule rather than the reality of who God is, we begin to self-medicate. Whatever that form is that we use. And we all got different, you know. Denise has a propensity to self-medicate in magazines. And she's kind of given that up in simplicity over the last several years. But she, she loves magazines. So today I've got to go to a closing, a Kairos closing and Jordan unit and Pampa. And Denise is going to go to Barnes & Noble, she already told me. <laughs> because $12 magazines are free for the reading there, and you just put it back in the rack, you know. Can you believe they sell $12 magazines? They have some higher than that, I guess, don't they, babe? $15, $20 magazines. Whew. That's an expensive self-medication. Might as well use crack cocaine, you know. I mean, come on. So, anyway, each person is tempted when they're lured and enticed by their own desire. The devil didn't make us do it. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So he says it this way. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. He could have put in parentheses, Adam and Eve were. Adam and Eve were deceived. They had it all. They had it all for us. But we would have done the same thing, wouldn't we? But they had it all. And they allowed the adversary to deceive them that God was not all that he said he was. Even though they lived in this perfect environment that God had given them free. They didn't pay for any of that. No rent. Yeah. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect endowment is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But when I read that and I look at the newspaper about the political environment we live in, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. What's going on in Washington is not going to work what's right and true and good and pure. It's not going to work. It's not going to work that. Our anger doesn't do it either. You ever have an argument with your spouse? Did that work anything good? You know, you know there's, a, there's a way to discuss, but it's not by growing angry with one another or angry because of one another, you know. All these things that... So how are we going to get over this? Everybody be quick to hear. Listen. Listen. Slow to anger. Slow to speak. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So when we're called to believe, to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're called to repent. We're called to put away the old. For the time has passed for us to do the things that the Gentiles or the unbelievers do in darkness. The time for that's past. We're to put that behind us. We're to put off the old and to put on the new. So we're in this process of getting fully clothed, even though we're already clothed in Christ Jesus. We're, we're in the process of, of really realizing what that clothing is. And we're putting off what was old and putting on the new. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now here's the thing about wisdom. 
And this is really a danger, I guess, maybe in, in America or the West where there's so much educational opportunity and so much material to read. We don't want to conflate knowledge with wisdom. We don't want to make those two things equal. That because we know something, we're wise. That because we understand some facts, that somehow that's translated into the transformation of who we are. It's not the same thing. But be doers of the word. These people knew scripture. And a lot of them were Jews in the dispersion. They were Jewish believers. Man, they were familiar. They'd gone to Sabbath school since the time they were in their mother's womb. You know, they had been taught. They probably a lot of them memorized the Decalogue and knew all the stuff of the Old Testament. They knew these things, but as a nation, they hadn't practiced these things. Their knowledge was not wisdom. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. There's an idea of being deceived again. When we, when we equate, well, I know that, but we don't do it, then James says, that's not the same thing. That's not, that's not life. That's not wisdom. Wisdom, is, wisdom is, is the fear of the Lord. That's where it begins, the worship of God, the giving of ourselves to God, the reverencing of God above all things, taking His opinion as the opinion to abide by. And so he says, to be careful that we don't get deceived and we become people that just hear and don't do. For this is what the natural man does. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. There's that idea of perseverance, steadfastness, patience. He looks into the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets. But a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Remember Jesus said that night that he, before he's crucified, he washes the disciples' feet. And then they're all looking at him like, what in the world? You're the Lord. We should have done that. You know, what's going on here? And he says, I'll tell you what. He says, if you know these things about serving, you'll be blessed if you do them. So the blessing comes in the doing, not just the knowing. Wisdom does. You know, wisdom is doing the things that are pleasing to God. Because we understand God, because we put our confidence in Him, because we persevere in doing them. Then he says in verse 26, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So first thing I want to do is I want to read this to you. Just You'll, you'll recognize this right off the bat. But I want us to, just this is one place we could look. So we're supposed to take the Word of God like a mirror because he, he makes that comparison. We're looking into the Word of God. We're seeing how is my life stacking up in response to what God has done for me and according to who He is. How, how am I doing here, you know? So we're taking an assessment. So you can assess yourself with me on this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So we can tell right off the bat that love, man, this is a premium. This is what we want. This is what we want. We want love. So here's the mirror of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so when I look at that, and I gauge, you know, who I am in relationship to that, wow, man, not irritable or resentful. Denise probably thinks I am sometimes. I don't insist on my own way. Whoa. Whoa. I'm not arrogant or rude. I'm humble and friendly. You know? So you see these things. It's like, here's the Word of God held up before us. It's a mirror. God says, I want you to come up a little higher. I want you to be perfect and complete in everything. Well, love is really the completion. I was going to pull up this song, but I didn't have time. It's called uh, Jesus Reduce Me to Love. It's called, it's called the Charity Song. Jesus reduced me to love. That's kind of what Paul is saying. That's, what, that's really what he's, James is talking about too. The royal law of liberty, the royal law of love. You know, he's talking about this whole idea of loving like God loves, of being reduced, which is really to be inflated, you know, to who God is. But this is what we're called to be. And so when we read God's word and we, we kind of, uh, Luther used to do this when he'd pray. His way of praying is he'd pray through the Ten Commandments every day and he'd pray through the the uh, beatitudes every day and he'd pray the lord's prayer and he says as i pray through the ten commandments he said i recognize where i have idols in my heart i see that i've coveted my neighbor's stuff that i have not spoken truth but i've spoken ill of someone he said i see these things and i confess those before god who's quick to forgive and then i read through the beatitudes am I, is my character like the beatitudes is this what i'm desiring is this what i'm hungry and thirsting for is this is this who i am you know, and so we take the Word of God and we let it shape and mold us. We don't try to, to capture it, you know, and master it. We can't ever master the Word of God, but it's to, to cover us and really to transform us. And it does that when we begin to be quick to hear. So it's like, well, I've heard that before. Well, are you doing it, you know? Remember my sister told me one time I was, I was preaching. She, she had a couple of recommendations for me. She said, don't preach so long. And uh, something else I said, well, this one person, I, I told her, I said, this one person really got offended by something I said. She said, well, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it. And so when we read God's Word and the shoe fits, wear it. You know, adjust to it. Get, get changed by God's Word. Let everybody be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because anger is not going to work the righteousness of God. Love will. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But everything else will. So we have this journey that's transformative. You know, we're going through trials that we're counting joy. We're doing it in the reality that God is sovereign. He's benevolent. He's immutable. And so James says, okay, do this. Verse 26. If anyone thinks, anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. In other words, you know, don't... Don't say whatever. I saw this good sign on Southwest Church of Christ a couple of weeks ago, driving down 45th, and it was, it was a it was a note of wisdom. Don't say everything that's in your mind. Oh, that's the secret to a happy marriage. <laughs> you know, don't say everything that's in your mind. That's that's good counsel, isn't it? That's what James is saying. If you don't bridle your tongue, but you're a gossip and you split people up and you talk evil about the leadership and you try to undermine what's going on and you, you talk, you know, talk behind people's backs, he said, 
Your religion's in vain. That's not, that's not the, you know, there isn't, you know, we hear all this stuff about it. it's not about religion, it's about relationship. Well, James makes it about religion. He says, this is religion that's pure and undefiled before God and the Father, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So we've got, a, we've got this two-edged knife that God is working his word and circumstances into our lives. One of them is, it's sanctifying us from the inside out. It's changing who we are, how we perceive things, how we see things, how we, have, how we locate our ambitions and manage our affections. It's changing really who we are. Just an amazing thing that happens there. But it's also doing something else. It's moving outward. It's not only sanctified, we're becoming witnesses of what's going on. We're visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. We're doing good deeds because of what the good that God's doing in us. It's, we're changed. Now we have a concern for other people. Maybe we used to speak evil of them. Now we go and try to speak the testimony of Jesus to them. So we've got this thing going on inside and outside. And it's the religion that's pure and undefiled before God and the Father. This is the good religion. So, you know, religion sometimes gets a bad rap, maybe rightfully so. But we're religious people. We're letting God's Word change us. And in that, we're seeking to see God change other things by being a witness to God's goodness and His grace. So I think I covered everything, maybe not in the right order. Be a doer of God's Word and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There. There's my sermon in a nutshell. Let's pray. Father, we do bless you. We come and we desire and do trust you, God. We do trust you for who you've revealed yourself to be. And God, especially are we thankful that in Christ Jesus we have looked upon you, the glory of God in the face of Christ. We've looked upon you, God, and you have captured the depths of our being. You've transformed our will, God, that we desire you. Thank you, Father for faith, for the gift of faith that causes us to see you, God, and to desire you and to push things aside in order to pursue you. Thank you for the gift of faith. And Lord, our desire is to be obedient out of that faith, to obey you, God, out of love, to obey you, God, certainly as dutiful servants, but more than that as, as loving children, God. Let those things come together as one, the duty of loving children, God, to honor you, to honor you in how we think and what we desire and what we speak. God, to desire your good for other people. God, expand our hearts to embrace other people. To take them in, God, to the goodness of who you are through the acts of kindness that we can do and the words that we might speak to them. Help us, God. Let us know more and more the boldness of your spirit to speak a good word in season that imparts grace. God, help us to be a, a mouthpiece by the Holy Spirit. Father, again, we, we ask your blessing upon us. God, we ask that you help us see things as you see them. And that God, through us, others will be blessed. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.